You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Fortez, and this is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on the show today, if you're enjoying the glorious sunshine this summer, you may also need a few reminders about how to protect your skin. The story from Markham Stouffville Hospital is just ahead. Also on the show, Part two of our conversation with Lawn Savers and their tips for your garden. Later on this hour, new music from the Solsters. But we begin on Coyote Watch, Afwaba with the story. There have been a number of uh, coyote sightings within York Region, and that has been a bit concerning to a number of residents, of course. And so we want to make sure that residents have the information and the tips that they need to, of course, be safe. And, of course, to make sure that coyotes continue to be in their natural habitat in the most safest way. So joining me to chat today is the founding executive director of Coyote Watch Canada, Leslie Sampson. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today. Afwa, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Oh, not a problem, of course. So uh, let's let the listeners first know, uh, what is Coyote Watch Canada? We are a not-for-profit organization that provides education, uh, investigation, outreach, community support, and training opportunities for first responders that may be faced with the challenge of knowing how to safely respond and encourage coyotes to, um, you know, retreat from the particular area. So we offer educational programs in schools, but we also are sought after as guest speakers, you know, across Canada. That is awesome. And okay, so of course, now you just mentioned that you, of course, you provide um, educational tips in terms of uh, coyote watches and coyote sightings. And there's been an increase of coyote sightings in the region. Can you talk to me about uh, maybe understanding why there is an increase in sightings? Well, this time of year is when the pups typically are, they've left the den and they're in a rendezvous or safe zone. So mom and dad are out foraging and hunting and they'll bring the food provisions back. But then in a few weeks' time, you'll see pups following their parents out into, uh, you know, way beyond the den area. And so even though people are seeing sightings right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's more in an area because each family has their own territory. I see. Okay. So then even though there, it looks like they're coming into more urban areas, it's, it's not necessarily a peculiar thing? So if coyote sightings are something that is a new trend in an area, then we uh, suggest to homeowners to make sure that they're not pro- providing any types of food incentives for coyote or fox or any other wildlife, really, uh, to come close and into backyards and, you know, kind of uh, hang around looking for a handout. And so more often than not, when coyotes are coming back and forth through a backyard, unless, of course, it's a travel corridor or a green space, if they're coming into a community, uh, there's a food reward there that they're seeking, and they'll continue to come back until that food reward is removed. And so a lot of infrastructure change now. And so typically when there's new uh, residential areas that are built, 
the coyotes, like other wildlife, have to adjust. And so they, that might have been their home territory, but coyotes thrive very well right downtown Toronto. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Chicago, Niagara Falls, and, and Vancouver, they do very well uh, living within cityscapes. So we just have to really encourage folks to make sure that they are doing everything they can to discourage wildlife such as coyotes from hanging around. I see. Okay. All right. So I'm glad that you're giving us this educational information here. Okay. So let's put it into a normal scenario. What can residents then do to protect themselves and their family? I know maybe if they spot a coyote, maybe their first instinct is flight or fight. They run away. And I'm hearing that running away is not the thing that they should do. What are the tips that they can do then to protect themselves? Right. You know, you should never turn your back and run from any canine, whether it's a wild or a domestic dog. And so uh, knowing your surroundings, making sure that you're walking with your dog on leash. And if you do see a coyote, you know, just the mere sighting of a coyote is not necessarily reason to be concerned or alarmed. But if it's a, an area where there's a trail system, there could be a den close by. So keeping children close or lifting up small kids and being very assertive, using very, very direct um, messaging to that animal that they need to move along. But we don't encourage hazing or anything that would uh, separate pups from their parents because right now they're in the throes of raising those babies because they're going to be foraging out onto their own, you know, within the next uh, six, seven, eight, nine months. And so being very big and loud, uh, many folks carry umbrella or they can snap a green garbage bag, fill it with air, and make a lot of noise. Um, whistles sometimes work. It depends on the location. But in a city, there's lots of sports fields that coyotes would be hearing whistles. So the best thing is to make sure no food is being provided and we keep our dogs on a leash on in trail systems, especially during this time of year. Okay, and so let's say um, the, the person they spot a coyote and they maybe start they they do the they they uh, make noise and they just start be uh, acting really boldly in terms of instead of running away, but the coyote maybe instead starts to creep forward. Is that possible that actually they would do that or would it sort of turn away? And in case it starts creeping more towards them, what does a resident then do? You, you, you know, whatever, if you know you're walking in coyote territory, you're going to have your appropriate items. You know, you could have a shake can, you can have an empty plastic bottle and you're squeezing that. But um, if a coyote is approaching a person, that's an indication that that coyote is receiving a food reward somewhere. And so maybe that person never, ever fed that coyote, but it's just like our dogs. When you, the can opener, they hear the, you know, the dog food container, they come, they will come closer. And so if that happens and you notice that a coyote might not necessarily run away, first of all, it could be a younger coyote. Maybe they don't even know what you're doing because they have been provided food. And so they're going to be looking and thinking, wow, what is, you know, what is this? Following through, being consistent, and being very, very direct and assertive towards the coyote. But again, this time of year, parents have pups. They're not in the dens anymore, but the, the pups will be out somewhere on a trail, perhaps, or in a field. So if you, you know, see pups and parents, 
you can back away slowly and you don't turn your back and you can retreat from the area. We get many, many reports about coyotes that are escorting or shadowing uh, domestic dogs, even when they're on a leash. But we have to remember that if there's one dog walker, there could be 10, there could be 20, there could be 100 in a day. And so what is the experience being for that coyote with other domestic dogs? And maybe this dog is the greatest dog in the world would never chase the coyote, but that coyote doesn't know that. And so that escorting or walking forward, um, you know, I, I would say an investigation needs to be done. If the, if the coyote is, you know, approaching people, it's because food is the reward. If we spot residents maybe dropping food or feeding coyotes, should that be reported? Absolutely. Help your community, help the city address and uh, do education and prevention. And they can go out and uh, deal with these hotspot locations where people are known to be feeding the wildlife. So report those uh, observations for sure. What if a resident spots a den? Should they try to, should they, of course, inform the ministry? Do they call you? Um, do they just walk away and leave them in their space? So dens are only used for about the first six weeks. Once the pups are weaned, that's when they start to explore beyond the den. And mom and dad will find, as I mentioned earlier, a safe area or a rendezvous site. And mom and dad will leave the pups in that area and actually go out and forage similar to what uh, mother deers do with their fawns. They leave them in a very safe place. So, um, you know, we like to say to folks, give wildlife a chance. But prevention is key. If you do in the springtime, check your outbuildings under your decks. Make sure you don't have any holes or any ways for uh, animals such as coyotes or skunks or possum to get in, raccoons. Fill, fill in those holes, Fix, do the repairs, clean away the brush from the back of your fence. And so prevention goes a long way. If there is a den, it's probably, like this time of year, it, it will not be used. So that den is empty. So if somebody doesn't want a coyote, um, you know, coming in and making a home in their, on their property, then there's, you know, you can fill in that den in the fall time. But you have to give, give animals a space to, to move along because the coyote family doesn't hang around a den for the entire year. It's a very short period of time. Where can residents then go for more information in terms of Coyote Watch Canada? Or if they spot a coyote, um, can they report it to you? We are always taking reports in through our system at coyotewatchcanada.com or through our hotline number at 905-931-2610. I will mention, too, many, many folks have contacted us, and they have doggy doors. So probably the days for the doggy door where your animals are going in and out is over because you don't know what your animal is doing in the middle of the night. So, you know, the bird feeder tracks, the doggy door, your pet can go outside, and you don't know. There's many, many other dangers besides, uh, you know, wild canids in our communities, right? Leslie, thank you so much for, you know, giving us uh, these great tips, of course, uh, because of the increase in coyote sightings. And I hope that uh, these tips go a long way and uh, we we can just continue to live amongst each other in peace. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me.
You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you're spending time outdoors this summer, don't forget to protect your skin. Sydney Bourguignon with a few reminders. In 2017, an estimated 7,200 Canadians were diagnosed with melanoma skin cancer. Being summertime right now, we are exposing ourselves to the sun more often. We asked Dr. Tara Lintashima from Markham Stouffville Hospital to join us on the feed to talk to us about skin protection and skin cancer. How are you doing today, Dr. Tashima? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. So would you mind starting off by telling us the cause of skin cancer? Well, ultimately, um, as everyone has heard, it's the ultraviolet radiation that is essentially what is responsible for causing majority of skin cancers. That ultraviolet radiation basically breaches the skin surface, causes DNA damage to cells within the skin, and then ultimately over time, skin cancer can develop. So what are some of the signs or symptoms of skin cancer? Well, typically, I would say majority of skin cancers are often diagnosed by patients themselves. They'll notice, say, for example, oh, I had a a pimple or a zit and it's not going away, or it's the the non-healing wound, which is another sort of classic presentation. And then another common story I'll hear is um, patients will say, oh, you know, I, I bumped my leg or I hit my head and the next thing you know, this wound popped up and hasn't gone away. And it's often just coincidence. Chances are the skin cancer was already there and it was now that they became aware of it because of the actual injury itself. And so that's a very common presentation of skin cancer. And typically they start off very small and eventually will go over time. But then, of course, the diagnosis is often made with just annual physical checks at a family physician's office or even dermatology. Are there preventative measures then that people can take to protect themselves from getting skin cancer? Absolutely. I mean, there's always avoiding um, peak hours of uh, sun exposure when the sun is the most intense. That's typically between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Now with technology in our phones, if you go to many weather apps, they'll tell you the UV index. And when that UV index is high, I mean, those are uh, classic times when you should really avoid sun exposure. And then there's covering up. So, you know, if you're wearing protective clothing, um, long sleeves, um, anything where you can uh, have a physical barrier against ultraviolet radiation, um, wearing hats, that's also very important. But I think the most common that everyone should be aware of and, of course, what everyone typically does when they're going outside and they're not wearing protective clothing is sunscreen, which is very important. I know it's hard. Even I forget sometimes to put it on under my makeup when I'm going out. But is there Mm -hmm. a specific type of sunscreen people should be using or what SPF should people be putting on? Um, You know, there's so many sunscreens that patients or people can get over the counter um, and you have to be very careful I think that the big misconception that patients or individuals have is they get really hung up on the number. Oh, I'm wearing, you know, 80 or I'm wearing 50 and therefore I'm, you know, totally protective. And it's not so much the number that's the most important. It's the content content of the sunscreen itself and the proper application, which is equally important. So the best sunscreens out there are the ones that not only have UVA protection and UVB, but they also have a sunblock, which is a physical barrier that reflects the ultraviolet radiation. Um, And often, sunblocks include um, zinc oxide, titanium oxide, and you commonly see those in baby sunscreens. But the reason why they're a big turnoff in the adult population is they're the ones that classically make you look white. 
you know, like the the zinc that you put on the nose when you're going skiing yeah. <laughs> and things like that. It's a physical barrier, but by far those are the ones that are the best sunscreens. And nobody wants to do that. So, you know, everyone kind of cheats out a little bit and just goes with the typical UVA, UVB protection, which you'll find in most over-the-counter sunscreens. So there are some new sunscreens out there that have been modified so that you don't have that white look. And those are often medical-grade sunscreens, like ones that I'll carry in my office, but they unfortunately tend to be a little bit more expensive. And then there's other things that, you know, you kind of want to consider, like are they oil-free? So those are the ones that you would put on your face. And, you know, that's ultimately the most important thing, but also the application itself. So if you, for example, had uh, 50 sunscreen, but you didn't put it on um, thoroughly or properly or the uh, correct amount, it would be actually just as effective as a 15. And so the rule I'll often tell patients is if they're going to be applying sunscreen, that they should do a shot glass each time. So that's quite a bit of sunscreen in order to completely cover the areas that you need to and then you want to wait at least 10 or 15 minutes before you put on your clothing because otherwise you're just going to wipe it off if you put on, say, your jeans or your, or your shirt over top of that. And so not only is the type of sunscreen important, but it's how you apply it is, is just as important as well. And is there a certain amount of time that people should be applying the sunscreen? Like how often should people be applying it? Well, um, typically, like most on the label, if it's truly been approved by the FDA for being water resistant, they recommend that, you know, before you go in the water, you let it dry for about 20 to 30 minutes before you go in the water. But then as soon as you come out of the water, then you should also reapply. So that would be in the context of swimming or like outdoor sports in the water. But, you know, say if you were just, you know, laying outside or doing a bit of gardening, usually the recommended is, you know, depending on the SPF. But I would say like for a typical 30, you should be applying it every hour to hour and a half. And so are there particular groups of people who are more at risk for skin cancer than others? Absolutely. So this type of skin that an individual has, um, it's based on uh, what we call it from a medical perspective, a Fitzpatrick scale. And so if you would be considered, say, for example, Fitzpatrick 1, which was on one end of the spectrum, these are individuals that are very fair, light-skinned, freckles, red hair, that's like the, the one example of a patient population where they're very, very high risk of getting skin cancer. But ultimately, it just boils down to how easily do you burn? And everybody's different. Typically, if you have more melanin in your skin, so if you're a darker pigmented or you have darker co-complexion, it takes a lot longer to burn. And it's those individuals where they burn very easily or at the higher, highest risk of skin cancer. And ultimately, the number one cause of skin cancer is ultraviolet radiation and sun exposure. And these are slow-growing cancers. Often, majority of the patients that I see now are, you know, in their 70s or 80s. And it's not the sun exposure that they had last year. It's what they did in their 20s and 30s. But eventually, the accumulation over the years, now they present with these multiple skin cancers over their body. There are a couple of other um, situations where individuals are more prone to skin cancer. Um, there are some genetic conditions, but they're very rare. Uh, individuals that are immune suppressed. So that makes their immune system not as strong as dealing with the ultraviolet radiation. So they're more susceptible. And then individuals that say, for example, had radiation in a certain area for whatever reason it may be, um, that makes that skin more prone to having skin cancer develop over the years. For protecting your skin against the sun or UV rays, do you have any additional tips or advice for people? 
Well, I think in addition to um, what we already discussed about avoiding um, peak hours, uh, high UV index, protective clothing and sunscreen, um, a real kind of magic number is the 10-minute mark. So if you're going to be outside for 10 minutes, then you should always consider putting on sunscreen. I think sometimes, you know, individuals will go too far and they're always putting sunscreen on in all circumstances. But if you're going from, you know, your house to your garage to your job and then back home, you don't theoretically need to wear sunscreen. Um, but if you know you're going to be outside for at least greater than 10 minutes, then it should just be a knee-jerk reflex. You put it on and you protect yourself at all times. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tashima, for coming on the feed. You've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. To find out more information, you can visit msh.on.ca and learn more about Markham Stouffville Hospital's Melanoma Clinic. This is the feed on 105.9, the region where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a couple of scholarship winners from the Aurora Panthers. Jim Lang with the highlights. Well, coming up this fall, something really exciting for hockey in York Region. It'll be the 26th season for the Central York Girls Hockey Association, the Aurora Panthers, who've been producing elite-level women's hockey players for almost three decades now. And something really cool they do every year is their Memorial Scholarship. And one of the recipients is a, well, a, a just a Finnish student at Huron Heights on her way to Laurier University, Jenna Campbell. She joined us today in the feed. Jenna, how are you? Good, how are you? Oh, excellent, Jenna. I, I, I know how much hockey means to a lot of women in the region and with the Panthers, and your letter was quite inspiring. It's not just a sport to you. It's much more than that, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. It's it's much more than just like a game. It's like something I've done my entire life, and I've built like relationships with friends and people who I like now consider my family. So it's been much more than just playing hockey in Aurora. When when you started playing uh, women's hockey, did, did you have a certain goal in mind to play rep to do what level? What were your plans when you started? Well, when I started, I actually started in like um, like skating school, and the coach wanted me to pick um, either figure skating or hockey. And my parents were like, "Okay, like it's up to you. You can decide what you want to do." So I decided to do hockey, and from then on, I kind of just. I don't know, I felt like I really loved the game, and I knew I wanted to do, I feel like, rep over, say, something like House League. Like, I wanted the competitive environment kind of thing. So that's, I think, what made me stick with rep. And then from then on, I just, I stuck with that for about, like, 10 years of doing rep, so... Well, and Jenna, it's a big time commitment. I mean, obviously, you're you're a good student here on Heights, now going to university, but also the commitment to practice the games, the tournaments. And I know the Royal Panthers have tournaments in some far flung places. It's it's a lot for a, a high school student to juggle to keep that commitment to hockey. Yeah, it is. It's oh my god, it's been crazy. At one point in high school, I'd say in like grade ten, eleven, and twelve, it was pretty intense. I there was nights and weeks where I didn't have a night off, like. I would have hockey like probably three to four times a week, and then you have tournaments on top of that. And I've been to places like Notre Dame, Chicago, all around, Detroit, like all different places. And also on top of that, playing school sports and school hockey and soccer, like I had no time to spare really with it. So but you, I didn't mind, honestly. I didn't mind. No, obviously you didn't. You, you wrote the letter about the application for the Memorial Scholarship. What was your reaction when you were informed you, you were one of the recipients? Honestly, 
I just did it with an open mind. I thought I knew a ton of girls would apply, so I was just like, okay, let's just do this and see what happens. And when I found out I got it, it was kind of a funny thing. My friend actually texted me and said, oh, my God, congrats on the scholarship. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I had no idea. And she said, I'm friends with someone who plays um, on the Panthers. And she said, I saw it posted. So my friend actually saw it before me, <laughs> like found out before me. So she told me, and I'm like, oh, my God. And then I got the email or whatever saying I got it. And I was, I was just so happy and, like, so thankful. I really, yeah really just thankful honestly yeah it's a you know the one thing i find about the aurora panthers and the uh, central york girls hockey association there's a uh, i guess for lack of a better term jenna a real sisterhood you think about the young girls coming up and mentor them and you also think about the players that came before you and there's a real pride in that isn't there yeah there is like some of the girls i've been with um, so I played Panthers when I was really little, and then I went to another organization, and then I came back to finish my last five years there. Um, so some girls I played with when I was really little, we built friendships, right, when you're young, and then I kind of, you kind of drift away from them, and then you build different relationships. But it was great coming back and becoming friends with those girls again. It was almost like a second friendship that I had been with when I was like, say, six, seven, eight. It it was truly amazing, and I've met so many great people there, and I hang out with a ton of these girls, like, all the time, like, outside of school, we talk, keep in touch, everything, so it's it's more than just, like, a teammate, it's, it is like a sister, and I'm an only child, too, so, I mean, anyone like that, I do consider a sibling, because I don't have any, so. Speaking with Jenna Campbell, a recipient of the Essential Your Girls Hockey Association Memorial Scholarship for 2018-2019, as they get ready for the 26th season of amazing women's hockey in the region, you go to Laurier in the fall, are you going to try to continue your hockey career either with varsity hockey or intramural hockey at, this, at the university? Yeah, honestly, I'm just going to see what Laurier brings. This intramurals, what it's going to be, that's totally awesome. My friend, my guy friend actually has invited me to play on their co-ed intramural team, so I've already got that set up if I want to do that. And maybe the varsity team, like the women's team, if that, if there is a chance to do that and if there are open tryouts, you will for sure see me there, like for sure. But it's, 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 I'm convinced in saying this, I'm confident in saying this, Shanna, that hockey will be your life until you physically can't play anymore. Oh, yeah. I'm planning on hopefully coaching at some point. I'd like to coach um, with my ex-coach if I get the get the chance. Um, Ryan Essex, I'd love to go back and help him out in, with the association. Or I'm just going to try and stay involved as much as I can, give back to the game, but more importantly, like the Panthers. I'd, I'd love to come back after I get my degree or whatever and, and do something there for sure. It'd be It'd be really great. Was there a moment, Jenna, or a game, or a, a, just a, a time w with the women that you played with the Panthers that you, th when you think about the team that you, you go back to and brings a smile to your face? Oh my God, there's so many. Um, well, this past season, I'd probably say because this is this one's fresh in my head. So when we were at provincials, so which is a big provincial tournament, which you have to qualify to get into. So we qualified to get into that. Um, it was kind of our goal all season. We trained for this. Like, this is our, this is what we want to win. This is what you want to do well in. Um, and we have, we had this rival all year and we could not beat them. Barry, we, we lost, we tied, we could just not win. And hmm. we were so determined to beat them. We had to play them in the provincial, one of the games, I think it was the quarterfinals. We had to play them and we were like, crap. When we found out, we were like, oh God. 
we're never going to beat them, like whatever. But then we were like, hey, you know what? We can do this. Like this is our, for a lot of us on my team, it was our last year. So we were like, this is what we want. Like if we don't make it farther than this, who cares? We just want to beat Barry. And in that game, we went to double overtime. And when my friend um, Jess scored the winning goal, she played defense. Oh, my God. Like our bench just exploded. Like we were screaming jumping up and down like I wish I got it on video but uh, I will I will honestly never forget that that was one of the greatest moments ever and Jenna it makes all the sacrifice that you put into your hockey career all kind of worthwhile doesn't it so worth it honestly after after the game all of us said we were like honestly that's all we wanted to do was beat Barry we put in the work this year all the practices all the late nights everything totally worth it Totally worth it. Janet Campbell, I can't think of a more deserving recipient of the Central York Girls Hockey Association Memorial Scholarship as you leave Huron Heights and head to Laurier and continue the Aurora Panthers banner and wave it proud. I'm sure I'd like to see you coaching in the future because I think a lot of the young women in York Region could use a coach like you with your passion for the game. You can get details at girlshockey-centralyork.com or email them info at cygha.com. Jenna, good luck in university. Have a good summer, and congratulations. Congratulations as well to the Aurora Panthers other scholarship winner, Madeline Harrison. She'll be attending the University of Guelph in the fall in the Bachelor of Commerce program. She hopes to continue playing hockey. Way to go. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. We're back on the feed with Kyle Tobin, the Chief Environmental Officer at Lawn Savers. In last week's edition of the feed, Kyle provided us with some tips and tricks on mowing and watering the grass. This time around, he's going to tell us what we need to look out for this summer. So I noticed on your website that you provide a month-to-month checklist for lawn care. Um, What should people be doing this month and the months to come for the summer? Uh, Great question. So the biggest thing that I would think right now that most people don't do is they don't sharpen their mower blade. So I would get your lawnmower out, I would take the spark plug out, and then I would turn it over, take your blade out, and if you can't sharpen it yourself, bring it into one of the many sharpening places that are out there or any any type of small engine place and sharpen that blade. A sharp cut reduces diseases from being able to enter into the grass blade. So that makes a huge difference. So sharpening your grass blade will be a, a big advantage for somebody. And it makes your, lo- your life easier when you're actually mowing. Another thing that people should be doing, uh, especially right now, is starting watering after a wet spring. I know, actually last night, I finally turned on my sprinkler system. <laughs> and... That's because I haven't needed it since. All that rain. (laughs) But last night, I noticed, getting home, actually my wife noticed that the lawn was starting to get drought symptoms. And so if I wait too long, it's going to be harder to bring it back. And then I'm going to need even more water. And that's not um, that beneficial to the environment if I'm overusing for no benefit. So getting a nice deep watering in last night, I'll probably do it again once on the weekend. And I'll be on a once or twice a week depending on the weather. It all depends on wind, sun, heat, those types of things. That's what informs our watering schedules. And is that something that you encourage your clients to do is help with uh, conserving water? Absolutely, yes. Uh, So what people forget about with lawns, there's been a lot of um, tainting of the idea of a lawn out there. 
But a lawn, what most people don't realize is it's probably the most advantageous um, contributor to the environment, even more so, dare I say, than trees. Everybody accepts trees as this great, you know, environmental um, savior. The difference is a lawn is always on. So a healthy growing lawn is always going through photosynthesis, producing new grass blades on a regular basis. I mean, that's why we're cutting it. And when that's invigorated and encouraged to be growing, that means it's always sinking carbon, number one, producing oxygen, getting rid of carbon dioxide. It's filtering the air. It's filtering the water. So any rain or runoff that gets into a lawn, before it gets into the water table, it's being filtered by a healthy, thick lawn. Thin stands of lawns that are more soil and and things like that don't have an opportunity to capture those kind of contaminants and and to be able to do its filtering job. An interesting thing that most people don't know is, especially on hot days like now, you go out into the into um, the environment and look at take a take a, a little temperature probe and look at the asphalt or curbs or concrete or anything like that. A healthy lawn uh, or a stand of grass is going to be probably 15 to 20 degrees Celsius cooler than those areas, sometimes even more. And so when we look at that, that provides enough oxygen for mm-hmm, a family exactly. of four for a year. So an average 2,500 square foot, and that's not that big, lawn has enough oxygen for a family of four for an entire year. And it provides the air conditioning, the cooler temperatures that can help uh, keep uh, ambient temperatures around us significantly cooler. So, so if someone wanted to hire someone like Lawn Savers, what kind of services can they access? So the trick is to find uh, a company. I mean, we like to think Lawn Savers is a great company, um, and we've got numerous service awards to to back that up. Social proof is everything. Um, but what you're going to get is, and what you're looking for is professionals that focus on healthcare for lawns. Um, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. There's people out there that will just fertilize, but that isn't that helpful. You want people that make this their living to understand soil science and all the latest um, developments in taking care of plants. So the types of services you're going to get is professional fertilization. And that's going to be oftentimes much better than you'll get on a golf course in terms of the grades of fertilizer. You're going to get overseeding, and you're going to also get the latest, greatest varieties of seed that can withstand high temperatures, droughts, insects, things like that, because there's a lot of science behind developing more hardier seed varieties. And then you're going to get weed management. But again, weeds and insects, those are pests that come in from an unhealthy lawn. People often call us, though, because I've got weeds, I've got insects. But we have to turn that upside down and say, well, let's get your lawn healthy. You'll have less of that. We're going to fight those anyways. Um, But it's just like working out. If you're going to actually want to lose weight, lose fat, get healthy, you got to start running. you got to start with healthy eating. Those are the types of things. So really, it's uh, to capture it all, it's nutrients, it's weed and pest management, and then it's complements to the soil. Things like compost application, composts that don't have weeds, weed seeds. Now, there's a lot of people that throw soil on their lawn all the time, but they're throwing a 
heck of a lot of issues, seeds, even insect eggs onto their lawns, things like that. So it's getting the right types of products onto your lawn and getting onto a program that's sustainable annually. So year after year doing that and also coaching. A lot of what we do is coaching people to do it right. So So you kind of want someone who's going to go the whole nine yards and not just stop with the pesticides and that's about it. (laughs) Puns again. (laughs) Yards of soil, those types of things. But yes, that's what it is. It's not looking for a quick fix. You can't go into a gym and say, I need to have a six pack Mm -hmm. by next weekend. Not going to happen. Impossible. But you can go, you got to start. You got to start somewhere and you got to get onto a plan with a company that you can trust and uh, with competent staff, competent team that's always learning and always looking for the latest, greatest developments that are going to help assist you all along the way. What we say, if there's one thing that I tell people all the time, is what you're looking for is a partner. And we're lawn care partners. We're going to do 50% of the work and you're going to do 50% too, but we're going to help make it easy along the way. Thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us on the feed. It's been great. It's my pleasure. Thank you. If listeners wanted to find out more information about lawn care, where can they go? Uh, The best thing to do is go to lawnsavers.com. Lawnsavers.com, what we do, even if you don't hire us, go to our blog. You'll see that across the top menu. We have lots of learning resources there. And it's all for stuff that happens right here in York Region and the GTA. These are blogs that I write personally. They're not ghostwritten. They're not just kind of picked off the web and kind of standard fare for different areas, everything exists to our local area and its observations of things that we see now um, that you can use on your own. And when you need some help, give us a call. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the feed on 1059 The Region. Over to music coordinator Christina Lavecchia next and new music from The Solsters. The Solsters are here in studio. They are a musical collective that includes Steve, Danny, Evan, Matt, and Alexandria. Thanks for being here, guys. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. Why the name The Solsters? Well, first of all, every other name in the world has been taken. <laughs> okay. And, um, but it's a little bit of a play on the word Solsters, S. O-U-L-S-T-S, but we are the Solsters, S-O-L. So, um, and it's also a little bit of a connection to, I guess, the Latin version for the word sun. So some of our earlier, you know, artwork and stuff had always a sun, picture of a sun in the corner somewhere, sort of to kind of put the two ideas together. How long have, well, the Solsters, how long have you guys been together? Different answers. Danny and I have been playing in bands together forever. We've been with Matt for like, uh, probably the first time we ever did a gig together was like 15 years ago, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's been quite a while. This is probably the first, one of the first like recorded collaborations that I've worked with you guys, but otherwise we've done a lot of like live shows together. And Matt's done a lot of stuff. Evan's done a lot of stuff. Evan, like Matt has his own records and stuff that he puts out under his name, Songsbury, and Evan as well. Um, I recently released a single on April 23rd called A Ride Called Life. It's basically a uh, alternative pop song, basically um, me talking about life in like my own eyes. And how um, do you guys find you have different sounds or do you find that you guys kind of bring different elements to, I guess, when you do your collaborations? I think everybody brings brings something in. Danny writes amazing chords. He's uh, I've known him practically my whole life and he's been a musical genius to me since day one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Take the compliment. <laughs> 
So, Dave and Danny, you recently released your latest single, Unconditional. What was the inspiration behind the song? You know what? It's not, it's not a very glamorous story. <laughs> I was actually driving around one day in York Region, and <laughs> I was listening to an instrumental version of the song in the car, and all of a sudden the word unconditional popped into my head. So we decided that we would continue with the idea of unconditional, and uh, uh, we wrote the melody and all of the words around that one idea of unconditional. One, one of the interesting things about this song is that what we tried to do in the melody is to have a very sort of um, asymmetrical kind of pattern within the verse, and uh, that was a big part of what actually defined the lyrics of the word. So there's no real sort of unconditional experience. It's, it's the melody pattern that, that kind of defined the song, really. That's the that's the true story of it. Unconditional was produced and written by, you guys are from York Region, right? Yeah. And so how important is it to you to have people who live right here in York Region be a part of your music? Uh, like, it's it's essential. Everything, everything that that we do, um, you know, on a on a regular basis, like to put the record together is is done in York Region. There's like some elements that we pull from different areas. Like Matt is in York Region. Matt spent a lot of time in California, but you know he's a York Region artist. Um, and we won't talk about Evan because he's from Durham. But Dan, you know, <laughs> Danny Danny's lived in Danny's lived in York Region in. Well, Since for 30, 35, yeah, like, yeah. what's I, we uh. can't do the math. It's like over 35 years or around that. Anyway, <laughs> so myself as well. And um, so it, it's really important. That's This is where most of the recording is done. This is where, you know, we uh, meet each other and, and live our lives. Well, we did a performance earlier and you guys seem like a family. So how has it been working together and kind of, you know, the whole experience of uh, getting to know each other? Does that help with the writing process or even just performing? Uh, Danny and I, you know, again, for a really long time. So, I mean, I'm sure he wants to say something. So, <laughs> no, no, we actually been around uh, for quite some time now. Steve and I, we almost practically grew up together, but... Quite frankly, you know, with with Matt, uh, I mean, we've done so much, uh, so many things together, you know, over mm -hmm. the years, for about 15 years now, as we said before. You know, we've done some shows together, you know, and we've done, yeah. so it really helps, you know, you kind of come together and you start to understand how, you know, the, the musicianship and, uh, you know. I, I just remember that story. Remember when we played in Aurora? In Aurora. Oh, yes, so in Aurora. So I invited Danny to play with my rock band. <laughs> and he was a pretty heavy rock band. <laughs> Danny played bass on that. How was that experience? I, 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 was, I had a great time, you know. It was, it was fun. He was time. rocking out, so it was good. It was, yeah. it was a fun time. And um, you've been in the music industry, you said, for a while, a long time. What advice do you guys have for somebody who's just, you know, starting to put their name out there or, um, you know, trying to release their first single? Um, I'd say definitely try and be yourself. Like, find... Uh, characteristic about you that makes you unique and makes you stand out because that's the best way that you'll definitely make it far in this in the music world. I don't know, he took what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that and I would just say, um, just be resilient. And if you love to do it, then do it. Don't let anything or anyone stop you. I mean, I think we can all kind of vouch for that. Um, yep. You know, you can't if if music is what you're meant to do. You can't separate it. You can try to get other jobs. You can try to do everything else, but you'll always be called back to it. So you might as well just embrace it and go along for the <laughs> So And have fun. So your latest single, Unconditional, uh, is out. So what can fans and listeners look forward to from the Solsters? 
We have a lot of, you know, songs that uh, Danny and I put our hearts and souls into. You know, we've we've actually believed for a long time that uh, that it's worth it to um, to kind of allow them to be heard. So stay tuned. Yes, that's right. And um, so if listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? We have uh, a Facebook page, uh, The Solsters at Solsters Music, and the website is www.thesolsters.com. And do you guys have Twitter or? Yeah, there's uh, there's Twitter as well. Uh, the Solsters at Solster Music. Hubble for Evan and uh, Matt. Facebook. Uh, my fan page is uh, my name, Evan Croft. Uh, it also helps if you put in the link, dash uh, Evan D. Croft. Uh, my Twitter, the same thing. It's at Evan D. Croft. And yeah, same for my Instagram. Matt? Website is songsbury.com. And all my social media handles are at songsbury. I found a name that no one else seemed to have, Steve, so. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> it, took me, it took me a long time, yeah. but I found it, so. <laughs> Well, thanks for stopping by and chatting with us. It was really nice meeting you guys and talking to you. We'd really like to thank you for the opportunity. It's it's been wonderful. Hopefully, you ask us back. Of course, of course, of course. It's great having you guys. You guys are always awesome. I must say, one hundred five nine the region always supports like local artists, and you guys do an amazing job at that. And um, it really is much appreciated. Thank you, thank you, you guys. It was nice having you guys. Thank you. I also chatted with Alexandria, a music artist who joined us here at the 105.9 studios to perform with the Solsters. She tells us that it's not only her first time performing with the group, but also the first time Steve, Danny, Evan, Matt, and herself have performed together live. It's been really great. They're really awesome, um, really sweet human beings, which I always appreciate um, and enjoy most working with. You know, genuine, good people. So that's really been a pleasure. How did you guys meet? Well, um, their keyboardist, Matt, is a longtime collaborator of mine, and I guess he introduced all of us, and so I guess the performance that we did together today was really a beautiful collaboration of us all coming together, which was really cool. Would you describe your musical style um, like the Solsters? Well, um, my music, I would say, is very soulful, um, so it ranges in, it, it would fit into that soul pop category. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely similar tones um, as to what the Solsters bring forward. So there was definitely a good match for us to collaborate on this. And um, what was the name of the song that you collaborated with the Solsters? Stay All Night. Stay All Night. Yeah. Can you relate to the song at all or did you have any input into... Oh, I definitely can relate to it. I mean, I think if you really listen to the lyrics, um, most women or men could relate to it. Um, there, it's kind of that love story or relationship that maybe we're unsure of why it didn't move forward, but we really wanted it to, or we wanted to continue exploring and discovering the other person. And I feel like that's such a relatable topic for anyone, really. So, yeah, I definitely related to it. And um, if the listeners want to find you online, where can they find you? My handles are pretty simple. It's uh, theonlyalexandria.com if you want to check out my website. Um, my Instagram is at theonlyalexandria, and there you can get a daily dose of good vibes and uh, singing and positive inspiration. And yeah, I like to really make sure that I'm expressing and that I'm that we're bettering ourselves so we can better others. And that's kind of the message I carry through my music and through my life and, and all the projects and events that I run and, and collaborate with. So, yeah. I'm music coordinator Christina Lavecchia. You're now listening to the Solsters' latest single, Unconditional, right here on 105.9 The Region. Unconditional Unconditional love, unconditional. If 
If I tell you that I love you If I tell you that I want you, that I need you Can we give it a try? Give it a try, cause I There's no reason for this feeling, but I've got it No, the season can't explain it, but I caught it Come on, let's give it a try Give it a try, cause I Give it a try, cause I our show for this week if you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea a community event to share head over to our website 1059theregion.com i'm tina cortez thanks for listening